That's what I like to see. People talking and meeting and greeting. All the introverts are real mad right now, but you're going to be okay in a minute. It's fine. Settle down. It's okay. You'll be all right, Ashley. You'll be fine. I don't know. I mean, I think we could kind of just pack up and go home. We just had church. Thank you to the, to the worship team for leading us in. Come on, can we get up for a worship team? We got people up here from all three churches. Some of them never played together before, and they just said, all right, well, we got the same Jesus. So let's just sing to him and play to him and see what happens. Uh, and it was pretty good. If I don't have the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Nate, and I'm the lead pastor of our Liberty Hill location. Uh, yeah, come on. There we go. We got some Liberty Hill in the house. And, uh, and thank you for always welcoming us and me and my family so warmly here. We love it when we get a chance to come to, to Heights or to Belton and uh, just get to see some more of our, of our spiritual family. You know, three weeks ago, we introduced this journey called There Is More. And we're exploring what it looks like. And then we're going to take action on what's needed to make space for people. And one of the things we've been talking about is that it isn't about a building. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about how God builds. And so there's a way that God builds. And he builds through people. And he builds uh, in people. And he builds through people's bank accounts. And he builds through people's relationships. And he builds through people's connections. And he builds through people's choices and people's decisions and people's pivotal moments. And basically all the things that people give back to him. That's what he uses to build his house. And so tonight, I want to take the next few minutes and talk about the house that God builds. And maybe you've heard a worship leader sometime talk about, it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Come on, Pastor Keegan. Maybe the first time you heard that, you're like, where's the Lord's house, man? I thought his would be nicer than this place. Um, you know, there's a reason some of those old cathedrals were made to just absolutely blow your mind with beauty. They're trying to convey, like, this is a little bitty piece of what God's house looks like. Or maybe, maybe you've heard somebody say, man, I really have a heart for this house. And then you've thought, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so the language can start to sound foreign. So tonight we're going to look at that a little bit more. And I do want to clarify something for you. Long before we decided to do There Is More, God has already been building a house. Many of them, in fact. But in our context, in our family of churches, there's at least three. We know there's more coming that God is building now. There's something we need to know about the house. It says this in Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord, say the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen, say watchmen, stay awake in vain. Do I have reverb on? I feel like I'm hearing myself. Does that does this sound okay out there? All right. It's messing with me a little bit. It's like three of me in the room or something. I'm just making sure. It could be me. It's been a long day, you know? Double header, preach this morning, get your worship on. All right, it's all good. Here's what the psalmist is trying to tell us. There is a partnership that God has put into place. See, he's the designer. He's got the blueprints. He's got the timetable. He knows where the resources are coming from. He knows when they're gonna show up. I don't know why he likes to surprise us and make us wait till the last second sometimes, but he does. But he's not surprised. He knows when it's coming. But then what the psalmist is telling us here is there's a labor for us in the process. 
Now, if we go do it outside his process, we are literally wasting time and resources and energy. But if we step into and lean into what he's doing, that's where miracles happen. So the question is, God, what do you want us to do? What are you building so we can help you build it? And so God, he, he's building the house, he watches over the house, and he asks us to watch it with them. I gotta tell you, there's a difference between seeing church as like a teaching center, where you go to get spiritual information, right? Those, those places are, are not called churches, actually. Those places are called, like, conferences. <laughs> and some people have sort of a conference relationship to the family of God. Like, I'm just going to go to this thing to get something for me so that I feel built up, I feel better about me, I've overflowing and speaking in tongues and seeing miracles, and I come home and I don't know anybody around me. There's a difference between that and a local church, the family of God, the family that God places you into. See, we're all part of the big family. All of us, part of the Big C Church. That's cool. I believe in the Big C Church. We're going to have all of eternity to explore that Big C Church. But right now, God places us in families on purpose and for a purpose. And how many know when it's your family, when it's your house, things are different? A little bit different. How many know when you know in your head that you've got some people coming over tonight, the whole day is a little bit different? <laughs> My wife and I are hosting a small group on Monday nights. And so on Mondays, I come up and try to spend most of the day with our team and our offices over in Belton. But the last two Mondays since we kicked off this small group, I'm like, I got to go. I got stuff to do. I got errands to run because people are coming to my house tonight. It changes your whole day. It changes when you leave. changes where you got to stop. changes what you have to do to get ready for your guests who are coming. Here's another truth. When you're renting a house, you don't look at it the same way as the one that you're buying. You're renting a house, like, it's got, I need three rooms. It's got three rooms, it's got a bathroom, okay. Uh, uh, oh, all the houses are vacant, that's a little scary. No, they're not, okay, the yard, it looks all right, it's not great. Yeah, there's 17 cars on the street, but whatever, I'm only gonna be here for a year. But when you're buying the house, man, you notice everything, every single thing. You're looking at how the neighbor trimmed their grass. You get out your measuring tape, does that, does that look right? Come on, Tommy, Tommy's gonna put on a clinic, Micah too. We got some yard guys. Maybe y'all should start a company. <laughs> you look at everything when it's your house. Why? Why? You could talk back in church. Because it's yours. Because you own it. Because it's yours. And houses are weird, too, because houses aren't people. Houses aren't even animals. They're literally just a bunch of materials piled on top of each other. But over time... People can get emotionally attached to a house. You ever had that experience? Maybe like if you had the privilege that I did not of growing up in the same house all of your childhood, and then you move away, and then you come back. What are you doing on that trip? We do a drive-by, right? <laughs> we do a drive-by the house. and see what kind of shape the house is in. For me, that was a little bit of like my grandparents' house because that was actually like the one constant house in my life. We moved a few times, but I would always come back to Granny and Papa's house. And I knew what I could count on. I knew what it was going to look like. I knew it was going to smell like. I knew it was going to feel like. And the house was always the same. And so I could go back to that house. And every time I would go back to Birmingham, sometimes I'd look at the house I lived in for the first seven years of my life. But I always, always got to roll by Granny and Papa's house. And my grandparents passed away in 
2008, 2011, respectively, and my mom and her brother hung on to that house for a number of years and allowed some missionaries and other people to live in it for a period of time. And eventually, they, they sold the house. And uh, I was real mad at them for it, but I, I didn't have the money to buy it, so what could I say? But they sold the house. And I remember uh, my wife and I went by the house after they sold it. And my grandma, she had a real green thumb. Like her front shrubs were all like azaleas. You ever watch the Masters and you see all the like azaleas bloom? That's like what her yard looked like. Her yard looked like the Masters golf course on TV. Augusta National, except it was in Birmingham. The same climate, same everything. And that's what that yard looked like. Talking about that zoysia grass looking nice. Azaleas popping. Beautiful. But we went by the house after it sold. And these losers... (laughs) (laughs) Smite them, almighty smiter. (laughs) These people removed all the work that my granny had done. And not only that, they didn't make it better. They just let, there was nothing in front of the house. They they painted the house and they ripped up all the shrubs and, and it was pretty emotional. I mean, it looked terrible and I felt sick to my stomach. You know why? That house meant something to me. It mattered to me. Because the people that used to live there mattered to me. But now they were gone. And their plants were gone too. (laughs) And it was sad. It was sad. Here's the thing. The way I feel about that house, it's like a little bitty piece of how God feels about his house. Man, I work on that. You're going to take care of that or you're just going to rip it up? So what is God's house anyway? In scripture, we see it as the place where God's people spend time with him and the place where his presence dwells. In scripture, we first find God's house is in a garden called Eden. And later on, we see God's house is a tent rolling around with Abraham. (laughs) Then a bigger tent known as a tabernacle. And then the ark, like a mobile home, like a nice RV. You know what I'm saying? God's moving around with his people, except only certain people could touch it. And if the wrong person touched it, they would die. It's kind of a crazy house. And eventually God's presence, his house, became the temple that Solomon would go on to build. And if you think the churches today are extravagant in the things we spend money on, just go read up on Solomon's temple. We hadn't even scratched at something like that. But then God becomes a man. He moves into the neighborhood. And John 14 says that if anyone loves him, he and his father will come to them and make their home in him. How about that? So yes, You now, more extravagant than Solomon's temple, worth more than every temple and cathedral that's ever been built. You and you and you and you and you and you and all of us are now God's home. And as crazy and as huge as it is that God the creator would live inside of you, something even more special than that happens when we all come together. And come together we must. The early church was in danger when they would come together. They would experience persecution. Some of their friends would be taken to Caesar's court and stuck on a pole and lit on fire to provide light to the debauchery in the backyard. This is what was at stake when God's people in the first century would gather together. Who would have thought the church would have prevailed just through that? I mean, when you read the accounts of what they were doing, 
to Christians, to followers of Jesus. It is literally a miracle that the church would even prevail through that. Fast forward to today. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in places like North Korea who literally put their lives on the line every single time they get together and try to worship with other Christians. The church in China may be one of the greatest miracles since the resurrection of Jesus, that it could not only survive but thrive under the conditions that it's in today. Every time they gather, if they don't do it the way the government says and the place the government says, they are subject to arrest, to being beaten, to being thrown in jail, or worse. But guess what? They Nike that thing and just do it anyway. They keep going. When we think about a house, we think about an address, a physical structure. When God thinks about a house, he's talking about the people that he lives in, the families they belong to, and the places where they gather. It's kind of all that, right? It's all that. So he's talking about people, culture, environment, spirit. And I want to I dig a little deeper and look a little closer at three characteristics of God's house. Number one, the characteristic of God's house is that it is a place where people want to be. It's a place where people want to be. But how many know it doesn't always start out that way? We have a huge part to play, huge part to play in making God's house feel like a home where people want to be. We actually have an obligation to warmly welcome new people when we see them. We have an obligation to prepare that and help that feeling. Have you ever gone to somebody's house and you were like, I was definitely not welcome here? Like, I know I got the invitation, but they were like, did they RSVP? No. Did they? Yes. Gosh, I was hoping they wouldn't. Y'all are all cooler than me, so maybe you never experienced that, but I have (laughs) shown up like, we didn't really expect you to come to this. Are people like, invite you out to lunch after church, you're like, yeah, I'll go. And then you're like, they, did, they, they said something. They didn't think this one through. They didn't want me with them. You kind of feel that. Is there a worse feeling than that? I mean, maybe a few, but not many, not many. So we have to make sure that we help people feel warmly welcome until the house becomes a place where people want to be. But if we do our jobs, God will do his job, and then people will want to be there, Right? And usually people want to be in a house once they've made a connection to somebody. And this is the plan and promise that Paul writes about in Ephesians 2. Let me read it to you. Verse 19 through 22 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built up together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. This is the process, but it kind of can start out a little awkward. You know, like the first time I went to what's now my in-law's house. (laughs) Why is he here? (laughs) Who is this man? Starts out a little awkward, right? But when you go to those places, you, you kind of expect to feel like an outsider, you know? You go somewhere new for the first time, you're like, yeah, it's fine, I'm different. You'll get it used to me. But you expect it. But you know, when I met my wife's family, like, and I started to get to know them, I thought, man, I really want to be a part of this family. I love them. And now over time, when I go into their home, it kind of feels like my home. 
I'm pretty comfortable there. I can kick back and not worry about snoring, you know, <laughs> after lunch on Thanksgiving. It's fine. It's kind of like my house. And they make fun of me and do some stuff to me, but I don't care because they love me. And I love them. And they turn on dog shows instead of football, so it's their problem I fell asleep. <laughs> but you go into a place where you don't feel welcome, but if the people really do want you there, and you really give it some time, and you press in and do your part too, eventually you'll feel it. Ultimately, what makes people want to be here is the partnership, the magical, miraculous partnership between God's presence and God's people. And that's when people experience that, they go, oh, these people love me and they want me here. And I sense God's presence here and I can't get enough of that either. I think I want to live here. I think I want this to be my home. It's his spirit in you and his presence in the place. And this is why when people say, the church is people, it's not the building, they're both wrong and right at the same time. See, I think the church is the people of God and the place where the people of God gather. You know, two things can be true at the same time. We can't actually walk and chew gum. They can both be true. The building's not the church. Okay. People aren't the church. This is the house of God. Both of those perspectives are incomplete. I won't say they're wrong, but they're incomplete. They need each other. And in that place where God's people gather and his presence is tangible like it is tonight, the presence of God becomes irresistible. And that's where people decide this house is my home. The house is so much more than just a warm environment with friendly people, although those things are good. It has to be so much more than that, so much bigger than that. And that's why number two is it's a place for spiritual family. I know we say this phrase a lot. You know why? It's because we still don't get it. By we, I mean me too. I'm constantly finding new facets and new ways of understanding what spiritual family really is. So maybe you've got it. I'll just preach to myself for a minute. No, really, have you ever had a relationship with somebody that is not a part of the family you were born into, but they came to mean more to you maybe than even the family you were born into? Yeah. We have a whole family like that. They're here tonight. Beth and Dan Allen. Beth was up here leading worship. We weren't born into the same family as them. Although we did live together for a season and we almost killed each other, but we survived, praise the Lord. Isn't that right? I don't know who came closer to killing who, but it was... It was it was close, wasn't it, Bethy? Love you. But I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, if I got told, listen, we're going to ship you off to a desert island somewhere, it's just you, your family, and you could take one more family with you, and that's it, who would it be? It'd be those people right there. I love all of you, but they become even closer in some ways than the family that you're born into. I don't even know how that happens. I didn't, I didn't like meet him and go, I'm going to make a plan. <laughs> Daniel probably did. He plans for everything, but that's not true. If he knew what he's getting himself into with me, he would have never made that plan. That one's out. Pick another family. <laughs> but it's become like that between us. It's become like that between us. But honestly, here's the deal. If they said to me, you can take four more families, I'd be in real trouble because I'd be just trying to take my whole church. All right, you said four, we're gonna fight for 400, here we go. 
Because it all becomes family at some point in time. Here's another thing about a family. A healthy family grows. You know? Like two people get married. They get a dog and they're like, this is our kid. And you're like, that's cute. Except when you have a kid, you're going to see. A little bit different than that. But every family grows. And it grows in different ways. It grows sometimes biologically. Sometimes it grows through adoption. Sometimes it just grows through becoming a spiritual family in a place like this. And then people like the Allens and the Browns just decide one day, I think we're like like family. You're like my sister. I didn't ask for you, but I'm sure I'm glad to have you. You know what I'm saying? You just, your family just grows. And then children come. What does the Bible say about children? Psalm 127, children are heritage from the Lord, right? Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And this is how it is with the church, when God joins people to our spiritual family. People say yes to Jesus. They get saved. They're like spiritual children. And it's the church's job as the family to aim them in the right direction. And we do that for each other. We do that for each other. And God is always joining to us. He's always adding to our numbers. That's part of the purpose of the church. And we actually see this all through scripture. Where people are lonely, God joins them together with other people. Right? We see with Ruth and Naomi. Right? We see Elijah joined to Elisha. See, Paul becomes a father to Timothy that he never had. John says when people come to his church, you're all my little children. (laughs) I wonder sometimes how they all felt. I'm the little, like, extra cynical, like, I'm your little, have you seen me? But John talks about that, all my little children. Read his epistles. He calls them my little children. All the Christians, by the way, as soon as they started calling themselves Christians, they also started calling themselves brothers and sisters. That's just part of the deal. But hear me when I say this, and I probably am preaching to the choir tonight because y'all the extra Christians that come to the extra services. (laughs) Tell everybody else, text them right now, you missed your blessing. (laughs) We need to create some FOMO in the house of God. But hear me when I say this, you will not experience what I'm talking about by casually sitting on the back row, showing up right on time, leaving during that last prayer so nobody talks to you. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. You won't, you won't experience what God has for you if you just stay on the outside or on the margins. It ain't going to happen for you. Nobody's going to force it on you. I mean, I chase a few people, and then I feel bad about it. Like, what am I chasing you for? We have something good here. If you want to be a part, we'll treat you like family. And if you don't, I don't know what to tell you. But don't make the mistake of thinking that if you're in a Beth Moore Bible study and listen to a bunch of podcasts and watch a Stephen Furtick online that you're a part of a spiritual family, you are not. And by the way, I do all of those things. <laughs> it's been a while since I was in a Beth Moore Bible study, but... Bless the Lord, I've done it. (laughs) I love podcasts. I promise you I listen to more sermons than all of you. But none of that makes me part of a family. That's getting back to that conference culture. Conference Christianity. I'm going to coin that. Somebody write that down so I don't forget. Conference Christianity. That's not what we want. It's not what we want to be. To be part of the family, you have to be with your family. And when you're with your family, you have to love your family well, or they just might quit being your family. I love it when I see people come into church with the same love and passion that they have for their natural family. They extend that to their spiritual family. 
You know what Jesus said about that? He said, that's how the world will know that you belong to me. How about that? By this, they will know. By the way, you what, each other? I'm glad y'all know that. Not by how you troll each other. Not by how you prank each other, even to get fun. Definitely not by how you talk about people instead of talking to people. Okay, I'll stop. That brings me to point number three, which is that a house of God, I'm going to keep going, back to the notes. The house of God is a place where everyone matters. Look at what Peter said, 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know how you're being built up into a spiritual house? By working in it. By working in it. And that's what Peter's saying here. And here's the thing. Most families, some of y'all are weird, a little inappropriate, but most families won't make a guest work. They don't. You come over for the first time. Oh, man, I got Can I get you a drink? Oh, I'll take your plate. I can take that for you. When Dan comes to my house, there's the fridge, bro. Get your own. <laughs> and Ashley says, here's the new handles for my cabinet doors. Can you please put them on? <laughs> He starts putting people to work, boy. Tell you what. If you live there, if it's your home, you don't sit around and watch everybody else work either. You pitch in. You pitch in. I mean, how weird would it be if I invited you all to my house and then I made all of y'all clean up my mess and I did nothing? You think like, who is this? When it's your house, you pitch in. And the church is no different. Maybe you can't do what everybody else does. I can't sing like Josh. He's got perfect pitch. I tell him a note, he'll sing it. You tell me a note, I'll swing at it and miss. But Paul said in Ephesians 4 that the church grows up as every joint supplies and every piece does its part. And that's why we here at Vintage Church put such an emphasis on showing up and serving. It's, it's because when you show up and you serve, you actually become part of the family. And that's how we can say we want more for you than from you. Because we know that when you show up regularly, consistently, and you serve faithfully and loyally, that you actually become part of the family. And you start to feel about this house like I felt about my granny and papa's house. I know what to get there. I know what it's going to smell like. I know what it's, no, I'm not going to like everything she cooks and everything they tell me to do. Yeah, when I want to go out and shoot some guns and I'm not supposed to, Papa might say no. But it's still a house that I know I belong in and I'm a part of. And no, I don't like everything about it, but I love it so much I might die for it. That's, that's what happens. Over time, you faithfully show up, faithfully serve. For those of you that do that, show up and serve regularly, you know just how powerful that is. You, you want to know how we actually got where we are with the Allen family? Because we've been serving together for like 15 years now. Serving Jesus together, serving each other, serving marriages, serving each other's kids, serving the house, serving the relationship. And now, like American Express, don't leave home without them. If I had to take one family, you know what I'm saying? 
It comes from serving. And so all this, especially for those of you who've experienced that, should be a no-brainer why we want to make room for more. Jesus said, I be lifted up, I will draw. All. Still means all. So we're not going to have holy huddles, sitting around, holding hands, nobody can get in, singing the Lordship, the Holy Ghost. Jesus is better than a weenie roast. Nobody can come in. I don't know where that came from. I don't think that was a song inspired by the Lord. Listen, this is what There Is More is all about, making room for people at our table in our house. In fact, the Bible said, Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. But while he's preparing that, we have to prepare ourselves. So we're a type and shadow here of what is to come. This house is a type and shadow of a house that you'll occupy later. The people that you're with are the people who will be with you later. So keep that in mind before you rant on Facebook about them. We got eternity to figure out how to get you back. Listen. <laughs> Calm down, Lisa. <laughs> Psalm 68.6. I'm almost done. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Where do you want to be? I know what I want. And I know what God wants for this house. And when I say this house, I don't mean this one. I mean our whole family of churches. I mean Belton and what God's doing there. And all the people that are coming. And I mean Liberty Hill and a little school that we don't even own, but he's got a place for us. How many know he has a house for us? And in all the houses known as Vintage.Church, we will be a house where we see prisoners set free. Where we see people who are broken find joy. And we want all of our houses to be a place where the lonely can find their family. That's God's desire for us. The question is, do you want to keep being a part of it? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, we thank you that it's your heart that's for the hurting. We thank you, God, that it's your heart that is towards those who are bound by shame, in captivity, by pain, even locked up and frozen from disease and mental illness, or those who've had natural families completely abandon them. You're still for them and you have a place. God, my prayer tonight is very simple. Give us your heart. Give us your eyes and give us your ears. Lord, let us see people the way you see them. Let us hear what you have to say when you talk about them because you know what's true. And Lord, give us a heart that's continually growing and making room for more. In Jesus' name, amen.